0: Uh, Will likely go through a divorce. Uh, and it's sad. Uh, and we all, this speaks to my heart because I'm guilty of this as much as anybody. We're selfish and uh, we think we need to be uh, fulfilled, self fulfilled. Uh, we have a, a, a right to happiness, we think. And it's all about me, make me happy, and then I'll stay with you. But what does God have to say about all of this? Now, that's the important question. Uh, let me just ask you a question, too. If you're married, are you working on your marriage? Daniel mentioned that, you know, we need to be working at it. And that hits the nail on the head. Are we working at it? Uh, it takes work. Now, you may disagree, but I think it's fun work. Uh, it may not be fun at times, but it is an enjoyable time, and uh, it, it's, it is not painful like digging ditches or putting down this floor. But, uh, <laughs> uh, and then, but if you're not married, are you taking time thinking through whom you would marry? And that's probably the second most important decision you'll make in your life, Uh, The first, of course, is the salvation of your own soul, but then who you marry, and then thirdly, of course, would be your profession, but in the context here, we see that Jesus has left Galilee, and he's gone into Judea, this was Herod's uh, area, and the crowds are coming, and he teaches them, it says, and uh, he keeps on teaching, and we need to be like Jesus, we need to not be discouraged, but keep teaching. Uh, those that we come in contact, you may not be a preacher, but you can sure tell people about God's word and the truth of God's word. And uh, He did that, and He kept on doing it till He was crucified. We see the combatants in verse two. It says that some Pharisees came to Him. Now, do they come to learn? Absolutely not. Uh, they came not to to listen but to trap, to trick, to discredit, uh, to get as much evidence against him as they could. And it says that they tested him or tempted him. It's the same word that Satan uh, used when he tested or tempted Jesus in Mark chapter, chapter 1. So this is uh, a bad thing that they were doing. Uh, they had one general question, which was, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife? And we find in uh, Matthew 19, verse 3, it says, Some Pharisees came to Jesus, testing him, and asking, Is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for any reason at all? So this is, uh, Mark leaves this out, but, Jesus, uh, but Matthew adds this, For any reason Uh, at uh, for any cause and again divorce was uh, a controversial topic then as it is today and uh, but they wanted to catch him Uh, they wanted him to possibly contradict Moses uh, maybe to contradict himself in his past teachings Uh, also to agree with the popular practice to get divorced for anything and so they were they were out to to trick him, and there were two uh, Rabbinical uh, teachings at this uh, time that the rabbis taught. There were two schools of thought, and uh, they stemmed from this passage in Deuter- Deuteronomy chapter twenty-four and verse one: "When, when a man ta- this is Moses, of course, when a man takes a wife and marries her, and it happens that she finds no favor in his eyes because he has found." some indecency in her, and he writes her a certificate of divorce and puts it in her hand and sends her out from his house. And so the two schools of thought was uh, that uh, uh, adultery was the main reason here. That was uh, the semi, uh, the rabbi semi, and then Hillel said, no, this was for any reason at all. You could divorce her for any reason at all. And so, of course, the, the school of thought you would, you would take would be the last one, which would be uh, for any reason at all, which the Pharisees, of course, loved to do. And when I say any reason at all, it was uh, if she didn't cook very well, these, <laughs> uh, if she talked to men on the street, uh, if she was disrespectful to her in-laws, and uh, uh, if the man found another woman uh, that was more beautiful than his wife, he could divorce her. And it sounds like uh, what faith today that, that's so prevalent, the Islamic faith, does it not? And so, but this is uh, a problem that's existed for a long, long time, this, this whole era of marriage and divorce. It was uh, more common, I think, than it is even today. Jerome writes about a man marrying his 24th wife, and uh, she was marrying her 21st husband. That beats Elizabeth Taylor, I think. I don't, and, uh, but So this is, a, this is a, a problem that we've had for a long time. The clarification... Of their thinking in verses 3 through 5. Uh, of course, uh, Jesus used questions uh, to answer questions many times. When they would try to trick him, he would turn the canons back on them. And he does that here. And he says, "What in, in verse 3, what does Moses command you? In the verse 4, the Pharisees say, uh, Moses permitted a man uh and uh, Jesus, in verse 5, clarifies, uh, he says, it was because your hearts were hard that Moses wrote that commandment. It was, it was because you had sinful hearts uh, in that time and that you didn't think very much of women. And, uh, and so let's, let's bear that in mind, that uh, Moses was for the permanency of marriage. Okay, he was not against that. Uh, It was because of the hardness of their hearts. You know, my dad had a sign over uh, his stove, which uh, we're going to leave up. And uh, the the sign says concerning uh, man and woman, he says, God first made man, then he had a better idea. Women said, amen. <laughs> and I don't disagree with that at all, let me tell you. Uh, but there's some humor in that, and yet uh, there's a lot of truth in that. Because our love should be that great for our, for our wives. Uh, but, uh, but they, at this time, were looking down on women. And it goes still today. They mistreated them. They treated them like a broken piece of furniture. And instead of repairing it, they just tossed it out and, uh, and got something new. And uh, Moses, I think, states this to protect women. He makes this certificate to protect them. They had to show and write down what it was that she had done. And so this was to discourage divorce. Uh, in other words, what Moses was saying th- to the men, men think twice about what you're doing. Then fourthly, you see the concept of marriage. And it's interesting here that Jesus leaves divorce and goes to marriage. Uh, and that's, I think, where we need to... Uh, emphasize this morning. And interesting because he goes back to the book of Genesis, the book of beginnings. And uh, he says that uh, let's not talk about divorce, but let's talk about marriage. What do we learn about marriage? What do we learn about marriage in the scripture? First of all, I think we learn... uh, that marriage was established by God, not man. We need to see that. It was established by God and not by man. In verse 6, we find God designed one man for one woman. It's the way He designed it. We talked about that in Sunday school order, authority, the way God made it. And if you follow God's laws, if you follow God's way, there is blessing that comes with it. It's not the best way. It's the only way. You see, it's not the best way. It's the only way. Uh, How did Jesus explain marriage? It says, first, he created them male and female, not male and male. Not Adam and Steve, but Adam and Eve. There is no room for homosexuality. It is a sin that is condemned in the scripture. And there will be severe judgment that will come down upon it. That's what the scriptures teach. That's not coming from me. That comes from the very word of God. It's not six wives for one one husband. Or it's not six husbands for one wife. Um, What makes a marriage? What does it take to make a marriage? It's interesting. Jesus tells us very clearly in verse 7. And it's leaving, cleaving, and weaving from verse 7. And that's the key to a good marriage. It's interesting that this statement, that's, that's uh, for this cause, a man shall leave his father and mother, shall cleave to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. It's found four places in scripture. That makes it pretty important. It's found in Genesis two twenty four. It's found in Matthew nineteen five, Mark 10, 7 and 8, and Ephesians five thirty one, that Daniel read from this morning. That's how important it is. Paul even brings it up as being of extreme importance. Uh, it's a br- blueprint, you might say, for a good marriage. Yeah. Uh, if you were to build this building without a blueprint, It would be a disaster because you've got to have a blueprint to build a building. Imagine building a skyscraper without all the dimensions and where the bathrooms are and everything laid out. Well, that's what God has done here in the scripture for marriage, to have uh, a happy marriage. And uh, just like you have to work to put this floor down, you've got to work on a marriage. Now again, it's more fun than laying, the, it should be more fun than laying down this floor. Although I have to admit, we have a good time, don't we? Yeah. Giving each other a hard time and, and, uh, and what have you. But uh, we, it's something we work at. first thing that we need to have is commitment. It says to leave your parents, to leave your parents. What does that mean, to leave your parents That is, your relationship to your parents must be radically changed. Now, I know this is somewhat basic, but uh, it's that important. It means you establish an adult relationship with your parents. It means that you must be more concerned about your mates' ideas and opinions than those of your parents'. It means you must not be slavishly uh, dependent on your parents. You must eliminate any bad attitudes towards your parents. In other words, you need to get rid of your bitterness that you might have against your in-laws. And a lot of times we'll call them outlaws uh, because that's the way people think of them. But we need to get rid of that uh, to have a happy marriage. Uh, Stop trying to change your mate simply because your parents do not like him or her the way they are. It means that you make the husband and wife relationship your primary human relationship. You know, it's sad. I have known couples who had friends where they had a closer relationship than with their own wife or husband. And that's sad, brothers and sisters. It's sad. And it only leads to disaster. Then secondly, we see not only to leave, but also to cleave, he says here. Cleaving means a gluing together, is what the Greek says. A commitment of the will. That's what to cleave means. A lot of people have the idea, well, if if it doesn't work out, we can always get a divorce. But they forget the vows that they take or they should have taken for better, for worse, for richer, for poor, for sickness and health until death do us part. Now I'm not saying again I'm not throwing stones because uh, these uh, things happen to us in life and it could it could happen to any of us. Okay, So I'm not uh, setting myself up here as one who has all this together. And uh, But anyway, God says, no, that is not the way I planned it. It's not for any reason I can get a divorce. He says, I planned marriage to be a permanent relationship. I want the husband and the wife to cleave together, to weave together, to become one together. And that's what he's saying here in Mark to these Pharisees. Mark chapter 10. A good marriage is based uh, more on commitment than feeling. You know, there's some days you just don't feel (laughs) like you love your mate. Or you may not have feelings towards him or her. And uh, But it's based on commitment more than feeling. We find in Malachi chapter 2, this is how important this marriage covenant, this vow is. Yet you say, for what reason? Because the Lord has been a witness between you and the wife of your youth, against whom you have dealt treacherously. Though she is your companion and your wife by covenant. That's how... Strong it is. That's how God looks at it. He says, I hate divorce. It's that severe. Uh, It's an irrevocable covenant or contract to which we are bound. Uh, And so when people get married, they promise that that they will be faithful to each other. Uh, regardless of what happens. The wife promises something like this, that she will be faithful even if the husband is afflicted with bulges, baldness, bunions, and bifocals. I mean, that's a, that's a stretch, I think. now, Even if he loses his health, his wealth, his job, his charm, even if someone more exciting comes along. The husband promises to be faithful, even if the wife loses her beauty and appeal, even if she is not as neat and tidy or as submissive as he would like her to be, even if she does not satisfy his sexual desires completely, even if she spends money foolishly and is a terrible cook. That's pretty strong, is it not? And I think that applies to every one of us. Janine's not perfect, and I'm certainly not perfect. Now, I have to say, though, she is a great cook. Matter Anyway, we won't go there, but but I have a friend, a dear friend, and um, I won't mention the names, but his wife has had cancer for seven years. They've been to MD Anderson and And now the cancer has has gone into her brain and uh, she's on her deathbed, but she's become very violent. And she's she's scratching him. He has big claw marks on him. Uh, She hits him. She threatens to kill him. And he stays with her. That man (laughs) will have crowns in heaven. He has been faithful beyond Belief. I mean, I'm just enamored by this man's love for his wife. And he still calls her honey and sweetheart and means it. Now, that's love. I don't care what you say, that is love. Yeah. And then, thirdly and lastly, God's blueprint for a marriage involves one flesh, the weaving. Um, and that's of course oneness. Weaving is communion, and of course this in, involves the physical aspect of it, uh, but not not all of it. But remember, in Hebrews 13:4 it says, "Marriage is to be held in honor among all, and the marriage bed is to be undefiled. For fornicators and adulterers, God will judge." That's pretty strong language, and that's how important oneness is and how God sees oneness in marriage. A great definition I found of marriage says this. Marriage is a total commitment, a total sharing of the total person with another person until death. Isn't that great? Let me read it again. Marriage is a total commitment and a total sharing of the total person with another person until death. That's how God intended it to be. We need to be sharing everything, our bodies, our possessions, our insights, our ideas, our abilities, our problems, our successes, our sufferings, our failures, everything. That's what marriage is all about. A husband and a wife are a team. They are a team. And we need to be concerned about the other person's need first. That would solve just about everything. I mean, I've had open-heart surgery. I've had pacemaker. I had a big tumor taken out, and Janine was there Every step of the way. In the hospital, at home. Uh, matter of fact, I kind of milked it, I think, for, for everything it was worth. <laughs> and I've already told her that. So, But no, she was a, a real help me. And we need to be that way. No matter what happens to our mate. We need to love them. You see, that's what Jesus did for us. Do you see that? Do you really understand that? While we were yet sinners, Christ died for you. Husbands, love your wives even as Christ loves the church unconditionally. While we were shaking our fist in his face, he died for us. All our wives or husbands have to do is just give us a little problem and bang, we blow up. That is not God's way. Ephesians five twenty eight. So husbands are to also to love their own wives as their own bodies. He who loves his own wife loves himself. Well, we turn to a bit of humor, although it's humorous, it's, uh, it's still true, I think. I know it's been true in my life, and this is very convicting to me. And uh, I hope it's convicting to you, but I'll, I hope we don't just find it convicting and then go, go on and, and continue as we are. See, that's the danger. You hear God's word and you say, boy, that's true of me, but then you, you don't change. And that's hypocrisy. You know, that's a great message. I'm not going to do any of it, but boy, it's a great message. Anyway, this is seven reaction, seven reactions of a husband to a wife that has a cold for seven years. And this is a response for each year that she has it. The first year, sugar dumpling. I'm worried about my honey bun. You've got a bad cold. You must go to the hospital and get good rest. I'll bring you all kinds of sweets for for my sweetie while you're there, and flowers too. That's the first year. Second year of marriage. Listen, darling, I don't like the sound of that cough. Go to bed, please. I'm calling the doctor. Third year. Maybe you better lay down. Nothing like a little rest. I'll bring you some soup. Fourth year. Look, be sensible, dear. After you feed the kids and get the dishes washed, you better hit the sack. Fifth year. Why don't you get yourself a couple of aspirins? Sixth year, if you would just take some cough medicine and stop barking like a dog, please, you're keeping me awake. Seventh year, stop sneezing and cover your mouth before I get pneumonia. I hope you can see the progression. Now, after being married 40 years... Do do you not struggle with this, or is it just me, you know? When we were dating, wow, I mean, you'd do anything. That's true. I won't mention that on, this is on tape, I won't. But yes, I do, I do, so... uh, But you know the real hindrance, I think, to our marriages, and I know it is, is sin itself. The hindrance to the achievement of oneness is our sinfulness. And it began with Adam and Eve. When they sinned, they tried to what? Cover up. Do we not do the same thing? We justify it, we cover it up. Uh, It's your fault, not my fault. Uh, That's what we do. We try to hide that sin from God and from our mate. Instead of confessing it, instead of uh, uh, asking for forgiveness, which is the only way, that sin becomes a great barrier to our oneness. Sometimes, uh, oneness is destroyed by the sin of selfishness, my way or the highway. sometimes it is marred by the sin of pride, the sin of bitterness, the sin of ingratitude, the st- sin of stubbornness, unwholesome speech, neglect or impatience, harshness or cruelty and again, that list goes forever and ever but what, uh, what's our need? What do we need at this point? Christ. Amen. We need Christ. We need Christ. Not only for a right relationship with God, but we need Christ for a right, right relationship with our mate. Yeah. I don't see how people who aren't Christians ever make it. It's hard enough when you have Christ. And sad to say, and again, I'm not throwing stones, but we see that in the Christian church. We have, uh, I had a former pastor and his wife, sweetest couple. I mean, if you said if anybody would ever last forever in their marriage, it would have been this couple. They're now divorced. So don't say it can't happen to you because if you would have said out of all the couples in Mobile said what couple would you say is going to stay together? I would have named this couple. And yet we need Christ because when he comes in he breaks the power of sin that divides. He cleanses from sin. He sets the prisoner free. He gives us His Holy Spirit, does He not? To guide us. He gives us His Holy Spirit so that we can love our mates unconditionally. So we can cleave to one another and become one flesh. Brothers and sisters, we need to be working at it. Here's a letter to Dear Abby. This is what a man writes. To dear Abby, he says, What does a man do when he approaches 60 and has a beautiful wife and fine children but still feels the need for more excitement? And he goes on to say, I decided to renew acquaintances with a woman I had a romantic encounter with many years ago. I reminded her of the thrilling romance we had. And in no time at all, we were reliving those days with renewed passion. The effect on me was phenomenal, but the effect on the woman was more amazing. She loved it. You see, the woman I renewed acquaintances with was my wife. That's working at it. Men, when was the last time you wrapped your arms around your wife and told her you loved her? Are we working at it? Are we working at our marriages and our relationships with one another? Men, how often do you, and again, this, this is convicting to me. How often do you pray with your wife? And in, in that prayer, confess your sin. And in that prayer, just thank God for her. Praying for her embracing her, encouraging her. Women need our affection. Do you not? Do you not? I think you do. They say one in 500 marriages break up when couples are praying with each other. Now, the good news, and that is, we have a perfect husband, and his name is Jesus. His name is Jesus. He's a perfect husband to you wives when your husband is not. And that's why we need to keep our eyes fixed on him and not our husbands. or husbands on your wives to fulfill all your needs and to make you happy. That is not love. Love, unconditional love, is making her or him happy regardless of whether they make you happy or not. Love is giving 100%, expecting nothing in return. That's what Jesus did for us, our husband. He gave 100%, expecting nothing in return. He died for us while we were yet sinners. Isn't that amazing love? Do you think you can love your mate that way? I think you can. But it's going to take some work. And it's going to take encouraging. And it's going to take saying, sweetheart, I love you. Let's get at it. Let's pray. Father, Lord, how convicting this is. And Lord, because I know how I fail In so many of these areas. Uh, Lord help us. Lord even right now. I would pray if there is someone here. Who has an area. Or or something that they need to repent of. Concerning their marriage. That you would work in them right now. To do that. To call upon you. To take that away. To give you. To give them uh, the power. To be obedient to you. But out of love, not of guilt. Not because it's a commandment. Because we experience the love of Christ. Because we have your Holy Spirit who teaches us. Oh Lord, give us grace. In Jesus' name, amen.